Bloom, Buddhist Reflections on Serenity and Love by Ajahn Sona. Chapter 4. Pleasant Abiding. I left off previously with the idea of the benefits of breath meditation. And of course, when I talk about breath meditation, I don't mean the mere technique of breath meditation. It's only a means to an end. We should always remember that there's nothing mystical about the breath. People can be mistaken about this. They wonder why these monks are always talking about the breath. Is there some medical issue with it or some mystical element? Is there some sort of knowledge you can extract from it? No, it's just a very simple expedient. You have to appreciate the brilliance of being able to find structures for manipulating the mind the way the Buddha does. He has brilliant, intuitive understandings of how the mind works, and he experiments with it. He talks about his life experiments. He tries this, he tries that. This didn't work, or it worked up to a certain point, but it had limits. So then he tries that, and that was satisfactory, and there were no side effects to it. He's experimenting with his life, and for him, his life is the internal life. That's also part of his brilliance. I think that anybody who takes up the practice already has a certain amount of emotional intelligence to realize that if there is some sort of fulfillment, it's going to be inside, an introspection, not in the outer world. It's going to be how my mind works, how my emotional structure works. That's where it's going to be found. So you've come to that conclusion and found your way to some sort of meditation. Probably many of you have tried different techniques and schools along the way. I certainly did. The story of the Buddha going to various yogic teachers and trying things out has a very universal quality. Being a seeker means you don't know, but you're trying this and trying that. He's an experimentalist, a seeker, a questioner. He doesn't just work on blind loyalty. He has to question some of the people whom he's called his teacher when he feels that there's more to develop. That's interesting as well. He applies some thoughtful analysis, not in the sense of speaking harshly about anything, but something like scientific evaluation, or what we mean by the modern term critical thinking, being able to take things apart and see how they work. This is the result of his explorations. Breath meditation is one of these techniques which is quite universal. One of the things that has been said very clearly in the suttas is that after a while, deep teachings will not be understood anymore. There's a simile of a drum which wears out, and the village keeps replacing its parts until eventually the original drum is not there. There's hardly any scraps or remnants of the original drum. It's been replaced part by part over time. The Buddha predicts that this will happen to the deeper teachings, that the replacements will be little snatches of poetry, little explanations filled in by other people, and people will no longer memorize these original deep teachings. Their meaning will be lost. This has happened very clearly in general in popular Buddhism. Certainly, talk about Nibbana and Anatta, 
the absence of self, and so forth, are deep teachings, and they have been lost over time. There have been very large movements of monks which have even decided not to practice anymore. They thought that a certain age had passed when that was suitable, and now it's just a matter of passing on the structure. But we're also in a time of reform and restoration where the deeper teachings have been restored and are vitally argued about, trying to discern what is meant by emptiness and selflessness, what the Buddha meant by Nibbana, and so forth. There has also been a dwindling of all practice of jhana. Quite often village monks were taken into the social structure where they had all kinds of other duties. They were contributors to civilization, but they had abandoned attempts to go deep because often going deep requires fair chunks of time and the right circumstances. When there are not a lot of monks practicing samadhi, then there are not a lot that can confidently give teachings on it. So there's been some samadhi restoration in the Thai forest tradition and also in Sri Lanka in the forest traditions. We have to go and find these things again and bring them back and find their meaning and purpose. First of all, we find that when we look at it, the Buddha is constantly praising samadhi, praising jhana as nothing to be feared and very, very beneficial. One very nice phrase about the benefits for the monastic practitioner is just that it's a pleasant abiding here and now, long before enlightenment. It's a temporary nibbana. The term nibbana, or nirvana in Sanskrit, has a wide meaning to it. It primarily refers to happiness. The Buddha quotes ordinary people's definitions of happiness. Sometimes food is nibbana. For certain people, a cool climate is nibbana. The Buddha, though, only gives high definitions of nibbana. Nibbana can be used in a lot of ways, but one way he uses it is for samadhi, samadhi as temporary nibbana, a temporary happiness, a pleasant abiding here and now. If anyone can find this, it's an incredibly important thing, and it transcends worldly happiness. It is higher than any of the worldly experiences of happiness through the senses. Therefore, it is a beautiful and precious thing to work toward, to cultivate. If you get it, you have your reward. Samadhi will change how you experience the rest of life. Because in ordinary life, there's a certain lack. There are small reliefs. You get them through momentary experiences of happiness, of sights and sounds and smells, tastes, touches, ideas. But it's pretty relentless. None of them last long, and you have to plan for the next day. How are you going to find some hits of happiness? There is eventually, existentially, a certain amount of anxiety about this because you realize how relentless this thing is. Whatever you experienced yesterday is gone and is just a memory. So you have to find something today. Even in the midst of sensory happiness, there's a certain anxiety about how to keep it going. And there's a certain weariness to it, too. Because quite often, these better experiences end up costing a lot of time, energy, and money. This process of finding samadhi will give you an alternative. 
You will not be condemned to seek whatever happiness you have in the world through the senses, through conventional types of experiences. You have your social life and your intellectual life and your artistic life. These are all basically based on the senses as well. Our social life, the life of relationship with humans, is quite a deep and rich possibility, although there are all kinds of frustrations. And the better it is, often the deeper the tragedy is if any of these things end. To be condemned to only that realm is problematic. And I think for most people, that's the source of some of their anxieties. So if we have another option, another dimension of our lives, which we can find our way into, it's an incredible sense of relief. You get existential relief from this. You get relief from anxiety and the narrowness of ordinary life. The experience of jhana is, by definition, blissful. There's no type of samadhi which is banal. There is no negative samadhi. There is, however, wrong samadhi, but no true samadhi that's negative. By definition, it has to be composed of positive emotional states or it's not samadhi. Remember, this is not just being able to concentrate. Lots of you did fine in school because you could concentrate, but that has nothing to do with true emotional well-being or happiness. Samadhi is a way of using the mind which is intrinsically associated with positive emotional states. A lot of physical ailments are based on frustrations of the mind. Besides psychosomatic symptoms, if there's unresolved distress, then one might pick up compulsive habits, eating too much or turning to things like gambling and so forth, as distractions or hits of excitement. You can see how your body and your mind can spin out of control into very negative areas, physical sickness, problematic habit patterns, and so forth, arise because of unresolved distress and issues. So samadhi is not just a thing for the mind, it is also a thing which enhances the chances of physical well-being. Because body cannot be left out of this formula, it's very clear that the Buddha definitely brings the body into this in some very explicit suttas. In the Anapanasati Sutta, we have the first tetrad. Breathing in short, breathing out short, in long, out long, know which one it is. Then the third and fourth lines have this word sabakaya, which is to know the whole body. There's this historical debate. Is that the whole physical body or is that the whole body of the breath? I tend to interpret it as the whole body of the breath, but those who insist that it's the whole body are not wrong either. Again, I want to come back to this. If it was really tremendously important, I think the Buddha would have gone into more detail. I think between a few major suttas, there's enough direction there to show you where we're going with this. And slight deviations or changes in technique are not going to exclude you from the experience. Sometimes certain personalities think that you must follow their exact technique or you'll miss the whole thing. But I think if you get the overall picture, then you'll know there are a variety of ways to get there. Sabakaya. Experiencing the whole body of the breath, or the whole body, that's fine. 
Now, why I say the whole body of the breath is that we have to make sure we're actually in sustained concentration before we try to bring up the next part. What do I mean by sustained concentration? Maybe you haven't had the misfortune of playing the violin. It's tricky. You have to learn how to sustain a note with the bow with the right hand. And at first, it's like a cat being tortured. Eventually, you can have a nice sustained sound, like a person singing in a beautiful sustained way. That is the experience of the breath, the full bow length of the violin. The teacher will get you to practice that until you can make a continuous sound, a nice, even, continuous sound. So experiencing the entire duration of the breath, the entire body of the breath, is to get your mind to have continuous, sustained focus. And it's that kind of focus I talked about with the binocular focus, not tension. You'll find this with music too. It's a relaxed thing. It's not tense. It's just beautiful and sustained. Sustaining a beautiful note with the voice is even closer to the simile. What do we mean by beautiful? What is the sound of beauty? It's not tense. And all of you has to be part of this. It's a wholehearted experience. That's why I think the Buddha is just reinforcing it. So first, just notice, long or short, that's rounding up your attention, like taking the cattle in off the range and getting them into the field. Now you're going to bring them into a corral, which is even smaller. The mind is used to wandering. There are many analogies for wandering, like cows on the range. And this is the perfect monastery for this. You're here a little bit early, but the range cattle will be up here. This is cowboy country, and range cattle are all over the place. That's why they have barbed wire fences when it's time to pen them in. Those cattle are not used to being penned up, and the mind is not used to being penned up. So it bursts the fences. It keeps running away from you. Until you get it to stay here, though, you have not succeeded in the first part. The second tetrad is where the benefits begin. Actually, one benefit of this already is that you've learned how to sustain attention. You've learned that you can sustain attention. You've learned that you're not condemned to wander. That's not part of most people's awareness in life. They don't know that they can bring their mind in off the range. They don't know that they can interrupt a fantasy, a daydream, wandering, splintering of thoughts. They just feel imprisoned by it. They just feel at the mercy of it, thinking, this is the way I am. To be told that you can redirect the mind and to sit down and try it again and again and again a thousand times to interrupt these thoughts, this separates you already from the normal way people use the mind. It's a huge benefit just to have been told clearly that there are other options about how the mind can work and that you can train it in this way. So you get to sustained awareness of the breath. And then the next thing is the truly beautiful part. Is it beautiful? This is also what the violinist must ask. You manage to make sustained sound, 
But a fly makes a sustained sound. But is it beautiful? Hmm. So the Buddha says, now you should be aware of the beautiful or the joyful, the blissful. And then he says, I want you to completely saturate your entire body with this. Every part of your body should experience well-being, happiness, joy. It should permeate your entire body. His analogy is of saturation of clay soap. They had fine clay soap that had perfumes in it. You had to wet it and massage the perfume through the entire thing so that no part of it is without that beautiful scent. That refers to your entire body, not just your mind, but your entire body. No part of your body is left out of this experience. Those who describe the first tetrad as experiencing your entire body were not necessarily at odds. I just think that it means experience the entire body of the breath. And then the second tetrad is where you start to experience the entire physical body, but in a special way. Not just experiencing your body, but experiencing that your entire body feels blissful. Your entire body is taken into the sukha, the happiness. Piti or rapture is mind and sukha is body. And they're not really all that easy to separate. For instance, just read books where people say, After that experience, I felt relief sweep through my entire body. Read any good author describing various emotional experiences and you'll hear that phrase again and again. Swept through my entire body. Any important emotional thing sweeps through your entire body. Fear can sweep through your entire body. The Buddha is saying, I want you to be clear. This is an emotional state that sweeps through your entire body. What emotional state? Lightness, ease, bliss sweeps through the entire body. But before we get to the entire body, we have to get to what's called the sign, the nimitta, a little facsimile of what's going to become part of your entire experience. So a little airiness, a little lightness and coolness, which is going to start somewhere in the nasal cavity and spread through your entire head. This is the key. You're on the right track. Here's the sign. It's arriving. You can feel it arriving, like the Chinook or spring arriving. Mm, The first smell of spring. There's something about that. Then spring comes on and all the leaves come out. The whole area is saturated with it. The nimitta is the first hint of spring, this airiness and openness of the head, and then the entire body. Don't be satisfied with small things. Always aspire to these greater experiences. You may not get there, but you should have a high expectation of what this is. Otherwise, if we dumb down the jhana, If we dumb all this down, we'll lose the fact that samadhi is a deep thing and it should not be reduced in its significance or experience. So the benefit here is a true, all-pervasive kind of bliss. Remember, it's what happens over time, as the Buddha said. These suttas will not be understood anymore. 
They'll be replaced by the words of poets, and these deep things will be lost. There are lots of synonyms describing how the body feels, how the mind feels. What are the contents of the mind? What's not there? They try to describe it as well as possible with words. The first thing the Buddha says is concerning the abandonment of the five hindrances. You're not going to experience this at the same time as the hindrances. It's not going to happen. That's a hint, because the hindrances are not mystical to us. We experience them all the time. We know what they are. Although you can experience them so often that you don't know what it's like not to be in them. It's very important that we try, in some way or another, to have a vacation, even an hour where we're not hindered even an hour where we're not harassed, burdened, worried, anxious, irritated. That's the first major signpost. He's giving you directions to get to this place. There's a boulder on the right and a huge tree on the left. You can't miss it. It's not a small boulder. It's not a small tree. It's a very big boulder, a very big tree. There's all kinds of little boulders and little trees out there, but wait, wait for the big one. It is big. Abandonment of the hindrances. He's trying to describe an invisible landscape. It's an invisible landscape that you're traveling across. How can I give you directions? How can I give you the signs? There's a blessing right there. Not to be angry, not to be irritated, not to be worried all of the spectrum of aversion. That's already a tremendous gift. The next is to go beyond even our cravings and desires, to set those down. We'll find out it's quite a relief, actually. Desire and wanting things are not so obnoxious as anger. Not so obnoxious, unless it's very intense, and then it will keep you up at night, but To abandon them is to feel that all the tension goes out of your life. A sense of relief swept through my entire body. And relief is a beautiful thing. But it's not enough. We are going on to an extremely positive experience. Positive well-being sweeps through the entire body, fills the entire physical body. The primary emotion is gladness, sort of an emotional uplift, the sun coming out from behind the clouds. This is induced in the third tetrad, and it is specifically mentioned just briefly. The Anapanasati Samadhi Sutta is very brief in these things. For the full explanation of jhana, we want to look in the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path under right samadhi. That will give the five factors of the first jhana, what falls away in the second jhana, and what falls away in the third jhana. This is the distilled description of jhana, without referring to the particular technique which got you there. Breath is the specific subject that helps you to enter this samadhi, superbly balanced, focused, lucid mind, and the accompanying virtuoso emotions. The emotions of the jhana are virtuosic. A nice word, virtuoso. It contains the root virtue. So if your virtue is together, nature and the nature of the mind will reward you. You will feel 
I am a virtuous person. A virtuous person who sets down the obnoxious and antisocial and negative things towards oneself, they will be rewarded by nature. Nature unfailingly rewards the virtuous person. The reward of virtue is virtue. Virtue is sweet and beautiful. This is why it flows very naturally into this virtuosity of emotion. The most beautiful, refined, virtuoso emotions are like what a great violinist creates with their beautiful, refined tone. These emotional tones start to appear in this samadhi. It's beautiful music. It's the music of the mind when the thing is operated properly. Most people's minds are like the torturing of a cat. It's hard to bear, terrible noise in there, ugly sounds. Because they don't practice right, they practice badly, and they get bad results. You have to practice correctly, and then you'll get beautiful results, just like beautiful music of the most exquisite kind. We have to make analogies from our experience. Music, perhaps, or a great relationship. Somebody whose company you truly and immensely enjoy. It's like being out in nature on a beautiful day. Or some may perhaps say in nature in a snowstorm as well, for this is also a profound and beautiful thing. We have to search around in our lives for these similes and metaphors and analogies to help us. The Buddha is pointing to the incredible possibilities of the mind, quite separate from the outer environment. You should aspire to this, and it benefits you in so many ways. The after-effects linger, and it changes everything. It changes how you think about the rest of your life. The rest of your life is not so much in your face anymore. And you're no longer trying to squeeze beautiful possibilities out of things that really have no juice in them. There are other effects which involve results beyond this life. The Buddha says when you come to die, if you've attained this jhana, then this sign appears in the mind. This profoundly beautiful experience appears because it's such a substantial experience. Apart from thinking beyond this life, as people approach death, they have life reviews and quite often dominant characteristics. The things that were heavy experiences in their life will come up at that time. They have a kind of life review with a moral dimension to it. Good things, bad things. If you've had this exquisite experience of peace, the mind will reach back and review that as well and make it a priority or fixture, a dominant image at that time. This is a preliminary for what might follow, and that is immersion in this consciousness, the whole prolonged experience of life in that state of consciousness. When we're in a Buddhist retreat here, we've got monks and so forth, so I don't feel too bad talking about Buddhist cosmology. In lay retreats, it's more about psychology than beyond this life stuff. But from the Buddhist point of view, there is a life beyond, and it can be bad or it can be good, just like this life. If you cultivate this profoundly beautiful music of the mind, then that can be an extremely prolonged experience beyond this life. That's another benefit. 
One of the earliest suttas in the Digha Nikaya, the longer-length sayings, is the fruits of the holy life. DN2, the Samanya Pala Sutta. The Buddha is very fond of listing benefits of various things. The ten benefits of porridge, the benefits of walking meditation. I haven't been having breakfast, so I don't know if you've been having porridge, but the Buddha has a long list of the many ways it does you good. But let alone porridge, if you find your way into this, the proper results of breath meditation, then many of these benefits will also appear in your life.